This is the Storm Report. We want to thank you for listening to the Storm Report podcast in association with the Storm Report Radio Network. I'm your host, Tommy Castor. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the Storm Report podcast, you'll get a notification. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, basically anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, you can find the Storm Report podcast. Also, don't forget to go online to thestormreport.com. You can get your interactive radar, a customized forecast, find out more about the Storm Report radio network and much more. Again, that web address is thestormreport.com. You can follow us on Facebook at the Storm Report radio network and on Twitter at the Storm Report. Now, historically on this podcast, we've done severe weather outlooks. We've talked about notable days in weather history. We've done retrospectives on major storms throughout the country. Today is a little bit different. We have our first guest where we're talking just about the world of weather and uh, and some notable things that have happened uh, in in weather history. We're talking with Chief Meteorologist J.D. Rudd, who is uh, with Spectrum News 1 in Wisconsin. J.D.'s had a long-storied career in weather uh, in, in multiple locations around the U.S., and, uh, and J.D.'s also an old friend of mine. So J.D. joins the Storm Report podcast today. J.D., thank you so much for being here. Uh, Tommy, thank you for having me on. This is awesome, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. We're going to talk about a variety of things over the next 20 to 30 minutes or so. But uh, first things first, uh, for those that don't know you, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about your history in weather. But uh, for those that don't know you and know your career, uh, I guess give our listeners a breakdown of, uh, of where you've been and what you've done. Let's see. I've been in a lot of places. Um, I'm born and raised in Kansas, so I'm a Kansas boy by heart. I'm from Salina, and um, I uh, went to college in North Dakota, and I got uh, into uh, radio, and then I got into TV, and I always had aspirations as a kid of being uh, you know, a TV weather person because I, I grew up watching that stuff. I thought it was so cool given the weather that happened in Kansas, and then you know, long story short, I fall into the whole thing. And so I, I go to make a career of it. And, and that's what I've done over these last uh, almost uh, 15 years now. Um, started off in, up in Minot, North Dakota and uh, worked at a couple of stations there and uh, somehow, some way got lucky enough to get, come back home. And I worked in Wichita from uh, early 2008 all the way through 2013. Uh, a variety of different time slots at uh, Channel 3 at KSN there, which was a huge learning experience. Uh, that helped uh, catapult me up to Kansas City for a few years, um, where I worked at a few different uh, time slots there. And then that helped further me into Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I was the morning guy there for a couple of years. And um, now I'm in in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. And uh, this has been a great opportunity uh, to, to lead a weather shop and uh, at a place that's doing something different with weather. Uh, we're a 24-7 Cable network, so we're exclusive to cable subscribers. We're always on. We're always doing stuff, and and all we do is run news and weather. So we have no uh, technical programming or TV shows that we have to worry about. So it's kind of a different way of us covering weather, and allows us to do a little bit more. And that is helping me grow uh, more in my weather abilities as well. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride over these last I can't believe almost fifteen years of doing this, and I'm so <laughs> excited to see what happens going forward. Absolutely. So JD, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of. Uh, your bio, you know, you started in radio and that's uh, that's an area that you and I have in common. We both, you know, came from the world of radio and, and obviously you went on to do uh, weather on television uh, and, and continuing to do that to this day. What was that transition like? I mean, I just know from a guy working in radio for so long, uh, I never had aspirations to be on television. I can imagine, you know, <laughs> switching mediums uh, that can be a little challenging. 
Dude, I never thought I'd be on television. I was, I, as I've always said, I'm a guy that belongs on radio. And um, <laughs> when I got started, it was my senior year of high school. It was part of an internship. And uh, truth be told, and, and I've, I've told the story before, it's we had to, as high school seniors, you had to intern somewhere. That was a requirement. You just had to go intern somewhere to get your feet into the job marketplace. And I thought to myself, what is a job where I could do next to nothing but get credit and pass this? And I, I grew up <laughs> listening to the radio and I thought, oh, perfect. You can just sit and talk all day. And so I interned at the radio station and yeah, you know, I got to peek behind the curtain. I saw these guys coming in in flip flops and sandals, you know, and baseball caps. And I thought, this is great. You don't got to dress up. You don't got to do anything. You just talk. And the more I got into it, I realized this is actually a lot of work. I mean, a lot of things that you do are, are by the seat of your pants, or you've got to be very creative, or you've got to juggle many different hats. And that was one thing that almost kind of slammed me in the face when I really got into the radio side of things is, you know, there's what people see as the on-air personality, quote unquote, but then there's all this stuff you have to do behind the scenes when it comes to production and formatting and even working with clients who may come in and this, that, and the other. So that was really eye-opening. And I, I fell in love with it. I loved doing it. I, I loved getting paid to talk, but that then became the problem. And, and I'm sure you can chuckle and agree with me. The company I was working for was not very good on paying their employees. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. After four and a half, nearly five years of doing radio full time, being the music director of a, uh, of a station that was a part of six different stations, I was making $5 and 50 cents an hour. And I, mm -hmm. I realized that is not going to cut it once I'm done with college. And once I try to make it in the real world. And so I started to do some stuff on the side with other radio gigs and I just, it was stretching me too thin. And then uh, the way things go, um, I was working at a radio station up in Minot, North Dakota, and I was also doing some pre-recorded stuff for a friend of mine back home in Salina, Kansas. And the company I was working for in North Dakota found out about it and they said, hey, you know, this is radio and we're a big corporate company. We, we own your name. We own your everything. If you don't stop doing this stuff on the side, we're going to cut you loose. Well, I was young and dumb and thought I knew everything and said, yeah, right. You're not going to fire me. <laughs> uh, they did. And so I uh, quickly found myself without a job um, two weeks before Christmas, December of 2004. I was let go from radio of what I'd known for four and a half, five years. I was on the cusp of uh, graduating from college and everything else like that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Uh, thankfully, while working at the college, I had dabbled in the college TV station and I was doing, uh, I was hosting the, the campus TV show that we had, wasn't doing anything with weather at all. And, um, the TV station in town, the CBS affiliate up in Minot, North Dakota said, Hey, you know, we've, we've seen your stuff on the college TV station and we've heard your stuff on the radio. We've got this opening coming up for a weekend weather caster. You don't have to have any kind of, you know, knowledge. You just got to come in and point at numbers. Somebody else will do the forecasting and stuff like that. Would you be interested? And I thought, well, I don't know. And the guy goes, well, we'll pay you $7 an hour. And I thought, oh, I'm rich. I'm going from $5.50 an hour to 7 bucks. I'll take it. And, and so to condense the story, I, I started doing that on a part-time basis for a few months. And the chief meteorologist I was working at there said, man, I got to tell you, you know, you've, you've got a good skill set with radio. You can think on your feet. If I was you, since you can talk, I would go back to school, work on your meteorology and make a career out of this because really what TV weather is, is a lot of just make it up as you go, but you still got to know the science, but you got to be able to talk and fill time and stretch and, and things like that. So I thought, well, maybe I can do this. And so I went after it and now here we are, but I won't forget 
Um, the very first night they threw me on on the affiliate broadcast, it was on a Sunday night. I was supposed to be shadowing the chief meteorologist. There was no indication I'd be going on at all. And it was about 945. And the chief looked at me and goes, you know what? I don't want to do the 10 o'clock show tonight. And I said, oh, and he goes, yeah, you're going to do it. And my heart sank. And I thought, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, what, what? He goes, oh, yeah, you, you've had a week or so of practice. You're an old radio guy. You can talk. You can do this. And uh, I was supposed to talk for four minutes. I wound up going about two minutes and 10 seconds. So about half of my time, <laughs> to which I quickly found out, <laughs> just like in radio, you know, TV, there's a lot of other stuff behind the scenes than what you would really know. And so I, I messed up the show because now the show was two minutes light and we had to try to find sure. time to fill. So it's just those those first uh, little steps into the whole business was was eye opening, uh, but now looking back on it, I just I am so grateful and thankful that this is this is my career. Uh, talking about weather, doing this, and being able to blend the radio stuff that I learned that has helped tremendously. Sure, I'll never forget. I was in college and and I was studying broadcasting, and I got a phone call from my parents one day, and and uh, my mom said, "Hey, we uh, we we Googled the average salary for a radio broadcaster. We're a little concerned uh, that this is the uh, the industry you want to get into." And and looking back on it, I don't blame them one bit. Uh, you know, when you're talking about yeah, the, yeah, the amount of you, money, you that probably like, like me had stars in your eyes, and you thought, "Oh, wait, I, I can work myself up. I can be a big time guy somewhere. <laughs> I can make the millions of dollars." Because I thought you know those jobs were out there. I thought, "Gosh, I could be one of these morning show guys somewhere or something like that and make all kinds of money." And then I realized even some of those guys aren't making all kinds of money. It's it's not right. what you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to J.D. Rudd. He's chief meteorologist from Spectrum News One in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. J.D., I, I want to uh, go back to some inspirations uh, of yours when you were younger. You know, I know that you grew up in Salina. You know, I grew up in Kansas as well. And I, I've actually talked to a good amount of people that are from this area that are around our ages. And it seems like there's a lot of people uh, that grew up in Kansas around the same time that we did that have a, a pretty intense passion for weather. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when we were kids, there were some pretty significant weather events that happened mm -hmm. in some pretty formative years that we had growing up. Like for me, I'll never forget the Andover tornado when I yep. was, you know, a little kid in 1991. I know that there are some pretty notable events and and all, and also on top of that, there were some rock stars that were meteorologists on TV during that time in the Wichita market. So I'd love to know if you had any inspirations, if there were people that you watched growing up or events that occurred when you were a kid that really got you interested in weather. I think it's, it's exactly like what you said. It was a combination of the people who were on TV and the events that happened. And, and I will flat out say, and, and I've been thankful enough to, to meet him and tell him this, uh, but Merrill Teller, was a huge influence on me um, growing up. That was the the channel we watched every night, uh, six o'clock and ten o'clock all the time. And I can recall being uh, five, six years old and watching Merrill not just track storms, but when it came to be Christmas time and tracking Santa. And that just that blew my mind that this guy <laughs> on TV could track Santa. And then in the summer months, knew about the tornadoes and knew about the hail. That was one of those things that hooked me as a kid of, wow, wouldn't that be such a cool job 
to know these things. And then as I got a little bit older, you know, we're talking now around nine, 10, 11 years old. Now I can think back to some of those big significant events, those things like an Andover or a Hayesville, or even just the days growing up in Salina and the sky would turn green and the super large hail would fall from the sky. And it was like, how, how does this happen? Why does this happen? And so it was that science part of it that drew me in. And so it was just putting all that stuff together of watching those guys on television, watching them just cool as a cucumber, just seemingly knowing everything and having control of this uncontrollable field, this force that was going on outside. I mean, I was the kid with my face pressed to the glass watching these storms while my mom's peeling me away going, you idiot, get back from the window. What are you doing? I'm like, I want to watch. And then I go watch the TV and he's like, it's, it's coming. He said, it's coming. And it was just, it was just that whole thing all balled up. So it, it is completely like you say, there was so much happening at that time, along with the people who were presenting it, that just really helped just shape that desire and that thirst inside of me to, to do weather. I have a similar story about Merrill. So Merrill was, was my inspiration too. I really wanted to work in weather because of him. And, but it was for a slightly different reason. When I was a kid, I was terrified of the weather. I was terrified of tornadoes. I was, mm. you know, I, I thought they were coming to get me. And I felt like he was the only one that was calm. And where he yeah. was, he was he was safe, you know, and he was the guy that was, you know, protected from all of that. And he was going to tell everybody what was going on. And so I, I definitely agree, you know, the, the people that presented it in this market. And then, of course, you know, the, the events that happened uh, were pretty notable, you know, during those years as well. I'm curious to know, J.D., as you've moved throughout your career from places like Minot, North Dakota, back to Wichita, then to Kansas City, into Ohio, now Wisconsin, what are the challenges as far as, I mean, you know, does the presentation change? Uh, I'm sure the forecasting obviously changes because there are different kinds of weather in different locations, but what has that been like moving from city to city and kind of embracing uh, what that market has to offer as far as the variety of weather? I thinking about it there are there are so many challenges and i don't even know where to begin i think the biggest issue is just learning the geography of the area learning the town names that was where i had an advantage in wichita i i, I knew the area i knew the counties i knew the cities so that was an easy part so being able to track the storms that made it better because I, I knew where it was going. I had an approximate distance in my head. I knew how far certain towns were from other towns and things like that. Um, so geography has been a huge thing. But then also I've learned over the years the types of storms you get and how they behave. And I don't know the best way to put that into words. I mean, uh, flashing back to Kansas, as you can probably understand, you get these storms that will, they will blossom up these big supercells that almost seemingly truck across the entire state and you can track them for hours. And then sometimes you get the storms that pop up right over top of you, they fizzle out and they're gone. It, things have been different, uh, especially Ohio and Wisconsin of the types of storms we get. And uh, seemingly in the, in the years that I've spent, at, at least in, in the Ohio market and, and now so far the last year and a half or so, almost two years in Wisconsin, we don't seem to have those big time supercell long live thunderstorms. A lot of what we get is more of like a, a straight line wind band or just a big long line of storms that come through that put out a lot of wind ahead of them. So that creates different forecasting challenges. And then without getting too geeky and technical, Sometimes in those lines of storms, you can get these embedded little weak spin-up tornadoes that happen, and those 
are very tough. I mean, again, to go back to the Kansas stuff, you can look at a cell, you get the hook echo on radar, and you go, okay, this is likely going to produce a tornado. You track it for a few counties, it falls apart, it gets the hook again, and you go, okay, here we go, we're doing this whole thing on repeat. Uh, in Ohio and Wisconsin, it's these things will drop seemingly out of nowhere, out of these little lines of, of wind-driven thunderstorms, and so it's harder to track those. And then, of course, obviously, having the Great Lakes nearby, that also throws some complications mm. into forecasting sure, and how sure. you have to think about things. I mean, where I'm at right now, uh, where I live is about three miles uh, west of, of Lake Michigan. And so there are days the temperature here can be 15 degrees cooler than what's happening 10 miles to the west. So you can have days wow. where you've got 85 degrees in sunshine versus about 70, even 65 in clouds because of the lake. So that creates challenges in forecasting as well. So it it has been, that's why I say it's, it's a learning experience still to this day. There is by no means possible a way to know everything at all. You know, inevitably, whenever we, you know, I've, I've had conversations with TV meteorologists, the, the question always comes up and people always talk about it all over the country. The, the whole process of interrupting your favorite show <laughs> when there's a warning. Now, obviously your situation is a little bit different now, considering that you're mm -hmm. on a cable network where you don't have programming, but in the past, historically, I'm sure that's something you've heard all the time. Uh, what, I mean, what do you have to say? How do you respond, uh, you know, historically to people that have complained about the fact that, you know, their, their favorite program was interrupted because of a, especially in the Wichita market, uh, a storm that might've been four hours away. Yep. And that's the biggest thing. And that's where it's hard to explain this to the casual viewer who, when they go home and they sit down on their couch or their recliner and they turn the TV on, it's kind of this unthought thing that that TV is just for you and that channel is just for you. And so it's hard to realize that station that you're watching is broadcasting to you and to your neighbor and to the neighbor two blocks away and the neighbor two miles away and the neighbor 200 miles away. I mean, in a situation like Kansas, so it's tough. And even though, I mean, this is the 2000s, the technology does not exist yet to break into individual homes or communities. And so that has been always a challenge. And like you say, I, I can't recall how many times, endless times, of, of it being one of two ways, of Wichita viewers being upset because we were covering a, quote, stupid storm in western Kansas that nobody <laughs> cares about. Okay, or conversely, big time storm over Wichita, which is the most populous city in the state of Kansas, so it's going to impact the most people. And we get calls from viewers in western Kansas who go, I don't give a lick about your storm in Wichita in the big city. Put back on my wheel of fortune. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I understand. I mean, there were certain times uh, we, we knew and you had to be cautious of what programming was on TV. You had to go, okay, what time is it? Okay, it's 6.30. Okay, wheel is on. Oof. Okay, so we know we've got storms going on, but how can we cover these in such a way where we're not interrupting the programming as much as possible? And each station has a different philosophy, and sometimes each meteorologist on shift has a different philosophy of how you want to handle that. And sometimes, too, the atmosphere dictates it. If it's a day where it's garden variety thunderstorms, and overall it may not cause that much disruption, you kind of just ease off the gas and you let it go. But the hard part comes on those tornado days where you have to go wall to wall. You have to tell people their life could be in danger. And how do you pick and choose whose life is more valuable than somebody else's? So the long-winded answer, and I will give credit to, to Dave Freeman on this, his whole thing was every home matters, every family matters. Hmm. So if this tornado is coming to a rural town way out in Dodge County, 
we're going to cover it just as if it was coming from somewhere in Sedgwick County, because those people all matter just the same. And if somebody wants to get mad at us that they missed their program, that's fine. But what I want them to take away from is that no matter what, when there's a storm, we're going to be there. And as he used to tell me too, he goes, JD, the people who call and complain that you're cutting into their programming are the same ones who will call and complain when you don't interrupt their programming when the storm is over their house. So you just got to sure. take it as it is, and you got to try to find some way to treat it all about the same and, and just be as unbiased as you can. You know, J.D., talking about the, the, the warning system, obviously, you know, breaking into programming or doing live coverage on television or radio or traditional forms of media, that's, that's you know, for the last couple decades, that's been the, the main source of that. Now, obviously, today... Everybody has a weather app on their phone. Everybody's getting mm -hmm. notifications based on where they're living. Um, you know, and, and in some cases, it is very much targeted to the zip code they live in or the neighborhood they're in or where, you know, the, the tenth of a mile location that they're in in that present moment, if they get that warning. Uh, you know, obviously, I think that there are a lot of people that will say, yeah, the more warning, the better and the more sources of information, the better. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is there such a thing as too much warning for an individual? I think in some regards there can be. I think in this drive-through age we live in where we want things instantaneously and spontaneously, I think sometimes giving too much lead time inconveniences some people. If somebody goes, oh, I've got 20 minutes until the storm gets here, well, that's 15 minutes I could be doing something else until I need to go seek shelter. Get off my sure. TV, leave me alone, don't do this, don't do that. But that's the other side of this coin as we progress more through technology, I mean, and I could sit here and talk all day about this and bore you to tears, but the <laughs> overall trend is that less people are watching TV on an appointment basis. They're watching it on, you know, a DVR or they're doing Netflix binging or something like that. So people aren't necessarily gathering and huddling around the televisions like they used to, where they may catch some of this information. And again, going back to this being a go, go, go society, so many people are out doing things. They're out. I, I know the, the current climate of things with coronavirus has slowed that somewhat, but still people live and lead busy lifestyles. So the TV isn't as much of a focal point as it used to be. And now everyone's got a cell phone in their hand. So in my opinion, I feel that technology is outrunning where we are in general as a society, meaning mm -hmm. our weather service way of pushing these warnings is falling behind. I think too many times we rely on, well, let's just put it on TV. But how many people are actually seeing it on TV? More people are getting alerts on their phones. We yeah. should be there on the phones to let them know. I mean, we've given the example before. You think about, let's just say, it's a Friday night in Kansas. People are out and about doing something. Maybe it's a soccer game. Maybe it's just a baseball game. Maybe it's just out for a walk somewhere. Whatever the case may be, depending upon the current climate, of course. And phones start going off left and right, and nobody's near their television. How do they know about these warnings aside from a piece of text that says thunderstorm warning for your area? Well, what right. does that mean? How bad is it? What's going on? I still think people want to hear from someone they trust to help guide them through it. Like you said, having a calm voice during those tense situations is hugely helpful. Any kind of psychologist will tell you that. So we've got to find a way to talk to people where they are, and right now, that's on the mobile devices. So we need to give more and more emphasis, I think, on talking to people there. Let's talk about social media for a second. Now, obviously, over the last several years, there's really been a priority, especially on a, on a lot of 
uh, TV stations to showcase photos and video and things like that that people are taking when they're at a location where you know a storm is approaching or you know they've got access to do so. Uh, I know that's an additional piece of content that can be used, uh, but I would imagine, you know, graphically and visually, uh, it just makes it that much more dynamic to have those people on social media being able to send in their reports. It's it's verification. It's instant verification, which helps us out immensely. I mean, you think back uh, 20, 25 years ago, if somebody told you there was a tornado in town X, you just kind of had to take the word for it because you didn't know. But now you can say, hey, this storm is coming here. We have reports of this. And then all of a sudden, here come photos and videos of power lines down, trees pushed over, funnel clouds. And you can quickly turn that and put it on the air. And that helps back up the warning process. It helps get that point across. Uh, again, going back to, to credit to, to Dave years ago, he said, sometimes when it comes to severe weather, you have to tell people three times. You have to tell them there is a warning for your area. There is a warning for your area. This is your time to take action. There's a warning for your area before somebody will actually do something. So being able to back it up with photos and videos and say, listen, here's what this storm did two towns ago. It's coming for your town now. It could do this to your area. That may prompt more people to go, oh, wow, I should take this storm seriously. Conversely, though, this is where I've got to play both sides. There are times our friends at the Weather Service will issue a warning and nothing happens and it inconveniences mm. people. There are ways to showcase the photos, the videos to go, look, this storm came through here and the wind wasn't that bad. It didn't do as much damage. And that may be helping our friends at the weather service go, you know what? We don't need to warn on this storm. Let's pull that warning back. Let's not overhype this. Let's not get people in a panic when we don't need to. That's another issue too we could spend forever talking about is the verification <laughs> process of warnings and, and getting people too wild up when they don't need to be. And it gets to a point where it's the cry wolf syndrome and people hear a warning and they go, oh yeah, it's not going to do anything. And nine times out of 10, it may not, but that one time where it does, then what do you do? It absolutely is a tightrope to walk. And oh, yeah. uh, it's it's kind of an unenviable position, not a position that I would uh, necessarily want to be in because you, you know, like you said, you can go too far one way and you can go too far the other way. And in a lot of cases, it's a, it's a, in the moment split second. All right, let's make a decision and go with it. Uh, and you know, in some cases that can, that can be really challenging. I, I would imagine a lot of the time. That's where I, I, I really have sympathy for the folks, the national weather service. Cause again, just to make sure this is clear and disclosed, no television station, no radio station, no media entity has the authorization or the ability to issue warnings. That is, I mean, they they can if they want to, but that's not how it's done. It's handled sure. by the National Weather Service. There's criteria for it. And those folks work hard on getting those warnings drawn up and done. And I tell you, that is tough work. There's a couple uh, weather seminars we've done. There's simulations where you can test out your ability as a National Weather Service meteorologist. How would you issue a warning for this storm? It's harder than you think. And the pressure on those guys and gals to make a decision that fast that impacts so many people, that is a lot of stress. And there's still a lot we have to learn and then it comes down to the old saying of you can lead a horse to water. I mean, they can issue warnings out the wazoo, but if nobody responds, then what do you do? And that happens so right. many times. There's a warning for an area. People didn't respond. Damage happens and someone goes, well, the warning came too late. I didn't know about it. Well, you didn't tell me clearly enough. Or other times there was a warning. Nothing happens at all. Well, you guys always say something. I'm going to stop listening to you. <laughs> it is such, as you say, a tightrope to walk. 
Absolutely. Let's talk about memorable moments on air for you over the course of, of the years, wherever you've been. Uh, is there one or a couple that stand out to you of something that happened or uh, a particular event uh, that you were a part of that you look back on? And, and whether it was good or bad, you just look back on knowing that uh, that was something that was memorable. Probably the first one that will come to my mind until something bigger changes it is what happened in Wichita the day. I know this lives on YouTube and it's gotten a lot of views and hits. It was it was Dave and I. We were covering a tornado that was coming toward uh, the Wichita area. It was coming toward downtown. And we were on the air doing coverage for a long period of time. And uh, Dave and I had worked together for a few years at that point. And what's what's really fascinating about weather on a sidebar here is Working with someone like that, you can develop a relationship, a working relationship where you don't got to say certain things, but you can look at each other or look at something and you can you can have a whole conversation. So that day we were watching this storm come up and we had made some side comments off the air about, you know, if this thing holds together, this could be problematic for Wichita. And so we got on the air, we were doing our coverage and, you know, he was working things at the green screen. I was monitoring things on the chat service and watching the radars behind the scenes and doing a few uh, tag teaming uh, the different events here and there. We'd swapped uh, stations sometimes and I'd go on the air for a bit while he would analyze behind the scenes. And as that cell got closer and closer to Wichita, we were looking at the wind part of it and it had a tight circulation. And we kind of looked at each other across the room. I won't forget our eyes locked. And he kind of started nodding his head. And I knew in that moment what he was saying to me was, this is coming for us. And us being where we were at the station downtown, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it now because we had that connection and we, we talked about it afterward. We knew in that moment while doing our on-air coverage, that eye contact, it became real for us. Mm -hmm. And that was where I recall he said, uh, you know, JD, I'm going to step over here and give the building page to get all of our staff down in the basement now. And that was something that as far as I know, hadn't happened in years of getting all the staff to the shelter. And so this was yeah. playing out live on the air. Our mics were on. He gave the building page. And then I think at one point the circulation was getting closer to downtown. He said, JD, this is where we need to go. And we, we got, <laughs> we left our cover. We kept the radar up. But we left. And so you could hear us going through the newsroom, hollering at the lagging employees to get down to the basement because that circulation was coming for us. And then we yeah. realized we we're still on the air. So we were in the basement in the stairwell trying to talk about what we thought was happening on the radar because we couldn't see the radar. We were away from it and we could just go by what we were hearing. And so that that whole event, some folks might remember that. I know there's a YouTube video out there of the coverage of it. That was one of those ones that it got a little bit scary, but it also was a little bit wow, you know, this, this stuff is real. We talk about it on TV a lot, but this, this passed right over downtown, right over our people. Wow. So there's moments like that. And then there's just uh, what I've always tried to do is have some lighthearted moments too, because sometimes with the way the news can be, it's so depressing. It's so down. There's so much bad. If you can in the weather world, have some fun. So there were days I recall in Wichita where I would do goofy stuff on TV, like getting water thrown on myself or wearing something <laughs> funny on television or doing weird Halloween gags, you know, or whatever the case was. So trying to find that balance of just making things a little more lighthearted. And that was one of the things I will say I enjoyed in my couple of years working in Cleveland. Um, doing the morning show there. I got up at 1230 in the morning to go to work and be to work by 130 and work all the way through the morning. So the hours were atrocious, but getting able to being able to wake up and just have some jokes and have some fun on that morning program, that was good. And just to be able to be lighthearted about stuff as opposed to all the seriousness of the severe weather and this, that, and the other. So there was, there was goods and there was some scary moments that stick out in my head. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned the, that storm. I think it was in 2013, I want to say, when that mm -hmm. happened. 
Um, because, well, first off, I remember watching your coverage and I'll never forget. I don't even know if I've ever told you this before. I'll never forget hearing you say the words, I don't know what else you want me to tell you. Like there was literally nothing else that you could say. Uh, it's just, this is what it is. And, and I think in that, I mean, that's a sobering moment, you know, where there could potentially be loss of life and it becomes a matter of life and death. It's not just a, hey, here's the high temperature, here's the wind speed, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking for partly cloudy conditions. Like this could cost you your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so that that was, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I don't know if I've ever, ever told you, um, I was doing radio that day and we were weather partners with Simulcast. KSN yeah. at that time. We were simul- simulcasting and our policy at the time, so I anchored the severe weather coverage, but our policy was if there was a tornado warning for Wichita, we went simulcast because I'm not a meteorologist, you know, and I want to make sure that we've got the people that are that, that are trained to do this mm-hmm. communicating with with the listeners. And so uh, as soon as that tornado warning was issued, we just simulcasted with you guys. Well, as soon as you and Dave went to shelter, there went our audio. I mean, we, yeah. you know, the radar was up, but we didn't have any audio left and we, it was just dead air. So I looked at my my partner that we were doing coverage together and I said, we have to go back on. You know, I have no idea what we're going to say, but we have to go back on. And so we took, you know, our, our radio coverage back over and I'll never forget. And I don't, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I'll never forget the national weather service issued a warning or issued a, a tornado emergency. emergency and the, the words that they used, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I didn't read it beforehand. I literally got it handed to me and I started reading it live, you know, and it was neighborhoods will be unrecognizable yeah. and, you know, complete destruction and devastation. And my voice was shaking, you know, it was, that was a, that was a terrifying moment. And I'll, I'll never forget you know, that, that could have been a, a storm that, uh, people talk about to this day. And, and fortunately it didn't happen that way, but th- that was a terrifying day. And that's, and that's the thing that you don't know about in that moment. That's what makes it tough for us is all, all we know is what we see on the radar and what we're getting from reports. And the reports were, there were funnel clouds spotted. The radar was showing a big, large, tight rotation. And so we didn't know what was coming. And then yes, when the weather service pushed out that tornado emergency, and as a side note, uh, in the weather office there at KSN, we had a dot matrix printer that would always print out those things when they were issued. I have that printout saved with me to this day uh-huh. because wow. that one stuck with me. And and I recall when I read those words in there myself, it was the same thing. It was like, oh my gosh, this could be so bad. At the time, you didn't know. And now looking back, you can breathe easy and go, thank goodness it wasn't. But in that sure. moment, and like you say, that that's... I. I now can have flashbacks of me saying on the air, I don't know what else you want me to tell you. Because at that point we had yeah. mentioned, you know, here's the red and the greens and the radar. Here's this, here's that. Go to shelter, go to shelter, go to shelter. And it was at the point of, I've said that 3,000 times. What else yeah. can I say to you? This storm right. is coming. Do something. Right. And that goes back to what you were talking about before, about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I yeah. mean, you know, the, those people have to have some level of, of personal responsibility, you know, you can give them the information, but they're the ones that have to act. And, and, you know, I am, I am glad that, uh, you know, over the course of your years that not only like you just mentioned, not only, you know, do you remember the sobering moments, but you've been able to balance that, you know, with, with some levity, you know, and, and, and doing some things that are fun and lighthearted. And, and I can only imagine, uh, you know, being on the air in the mornings, you know, having a chance to, you know, probably perform a little bit more, entertain a little bit more as opposed to just, you know, giving a forecast and, and moving on. Um, so I, I would imagine, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine that's been a really cool balance to be able to have some of those moments that are a little bit more serious, but then also memorable moments that uh, you were able to have some fun. 
It was, and that's where I mean I, I've spoken to viewers over the years that go, "Oh, you you TV weather guys are all the same. You just live for the big nasty storms. You guys love that stuff." Listen, if if I never had to go on the air to warn for a storm, I would be happy. I really would. And so I say this with with a lot of weight to it. I enjoyed my time in Wichita and in Kansas City. I am grateful that I got to cover the storms and the situations and learn what I did. But I will tell you, it was a breath of fresh air when I accepted the job in Ohio and I was going to go do mornings and learning more about the environment there. I, I soon realized and knew, you know what? I am probably not going to have to cover severe weather for as long as I'm here because it just doesn't happen in the morning hours there. It's not the same as a Wichita or sure. a Kansas City. So that was a weight off of my shoulders. And then knowing how the morning TV environment is, it has become a little more lighthearted and comical. And so, yeah, there were days it was just one line zingers here and there and just goofy stuff <laughs> left and right. And it, so it did. It made it worth it just to go, you know what? I'm having fun now. I don't have to worry about being Mr. Serious. I don't have to worry about tracking some long storm that might do damage, kill somebody, harm somebody. Oh, this is a relaxing moment after, let's see what, I was in Wichita for almost seven years, Kansas City for three. So yeah, nearly 10 years of, of tracking the nasty bad stuff. It was It was great to go, okay, let's have some fun for a little while now. That's awesome. JD, before we let you go, if we've got listeners that want to find out more about you or they want to know what you're up to or connect with you, how can they do so? Um, well, there's a variety of ways. Um, I've got my Twitter account at JD Rudd. Um, I somewhat stay active on there. I've got a Facebook page, uh, JD Rudd WX. I'll be honest, I have fallen off the Facebook wagon over the last probably <laughs> year or so. Um, so I don't post as much on there. Um, part of that, though, is tied to without getting too far off the rails, uh, like I say, what we do here in, in Wisconsin now, it's a 24-7 it's deal that we have. So there's longer hours, number one. But with everything going on with the current situation with coronavirus and, and things like that, we're working longer hours. We're doing more frequent updates and things. So I don't have a lot of spare time for some of the social media stuff that I used to. Um, I do have some old videos of mine that are on my website, jdrud.com, but again, I'll be honest, I don't update that very often. I am really lagging, Tommy, on my social, <laughs> my digital stuff that I should be as a self-professed tech and, and technology computer geek. I just haven't done it. But my excuse is I have a beautiful seven-month-old daughter who really oh, there you go. busy, and that is where my attention goes when I'm not doing uh, the work stuff, too. So I'm trying to find that balance, but... Uh, it's it's been a wild ride, and I just can't believe that this is where where life has taken me. So I'm blessed, and I'm grateful that this is this is what it is, man. That's incredible, and uh, you know I don't think anybody will blame you at all for falling off of social media to uh, spend time with your daughter. I would certainly be the same way, uh, JD. I just really I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for taking some time. You know I I told you before we got started, it was just going to be a fly by the seat of our pants interview and just kind of have a, a conversation between two old friends. And I really appreciate uh, you being on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been great. And I appreciate those who may remember me. Uh, and I just want to say this publicly, quote unquote, I want to thank those who trusted me and watched me and KSN for that matter, for my years in Wichita. Uh, that means a lot. I had a lot of feedback when I, when I left the station, there were people who were like, Oh no, don't go. You're the best. We're going to miss you. Everybody's <laughs> person they grew up with is the best. You know, the, the next guy comes along and the next girl comes along and it all changes. But I know there were some folks who really enjoyed watching and who really trusted. And that means a lot to me for someone to quite literally put their life in my hands some days that, 
I'm not a superhero. I'll never claim to be one, but I know there are some folks who put a lot into meteorologists on TV because of those scary storm situations. So I'm just grateful for those who decided to choose our station and me for their trust when things got bad. So I appreciate that. I always appreciated working with you as well back in the day, and uh, that was always a lot of fun. So uh, it's J.D. Rudd. He is chief meteorologist for Spectrum News One in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Kansas native. Uh, J.D. Rudd as well here on the Storm Report podcast. Uh, Just before we wrap up, I do want to remind you if you're listening to hit subscribe. Uh, That way, anytime we have a new episode of the Storm Report podcast, you'll be notified. Again, you can find us on platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, many others out there as well. Check out our website, thestormreport.com, on Facebook at the Storm Report Radio Network, and follow us on Twitter at the Storm Report. Until next time, I'm your host, Tommy Castor. You've been listening to the Storm Report podcast in association with the Storm Report Radio Network.